We are in a series called Loving Logic. And this series is a seven-week series. Last week was week number one. And uh, so I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you missed week number one, there might be some things today that uh, you feel like you're sort of playing catch-up. It's true, it's true. Uh, what I would encourage you to do, any week that you miss in this series, that you would go back and watch either on YouTube or listen to it on, po on the podcast or whatever, to catch up in, uh, in what we've talked about. It's so important because these, these messages, they sort of stack. You know, a lot of times we, we want the, like, just give me one installment and, and it's this just perfectly packaged one message about 33 minutes long, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, but sometimes there's bigger concepts than this. And this series is, is about that. It's, it's about loving logic, a biblical response to unbiblical thinking. And so we're talking a lot about philosophies that are in the world that are making their way into the church. Uh, it is next to impossible for us to be in the world, but yet the thinking patterns of the world not affect the way that we think. Okay, I know some people have this mindset that like, man, I could be in the world and not of it, which is what we're supposed to be, but we're gonna be affected by the world that we live in. Okay, if I go to a, into like a, a gas station and it smells bad, when I walk out of that gas station and get in the car, guess what the car smells like? Whatever that gas station smelled like. You know, uh, growing up, we, we used to, there's a, a gas station actually around here, and um, I'm not gonna say the name of it, but my dad, we'd get done with church like on Wednesday night, Wednesday night, you know, we'd be on the way home, and we'd stop by this gas station, and dad would go in, and uh, man, everybody would smoke in the gas station, and like, there's just old food. I mean, it was one of the grungy ones, you know what I'm talking about? And I, I remember to this day, I'm like eight years old, and I still remember him getting in the car after he'd be out of that gas station, and you just want to hold your, hold your breath the whole way home. It was just nasty, old, like, it was just musty, it was gross, and uh, we were only a half a mile away from the gas station, so it wasn't that long of a drive. But come on, y'all, a lot of times we walk through this world, and we start smelling like the world. Now we start thinking, we start acting like the world. We got to find a place of renewal in order to, uh, to, to not become the world, okay? And so this series is, is kind of heady, but uh, I, I like these types of series. I like these types of series, so I'm excited about today. So let's jump in. Uh, a little bit of recap for, uh, from last week. Um, this was kind of our statement that we made, that we are facing a delusion of the doctrine and practice of Christianity, as well as an erosion of the foundation of the reliability and authority of the Bible. This is what we're facing. All right, a delusion of the doctrine and practice of Christianity. And um, Paul, the apostle Paul, faced the same thing. He writes the book of Colossians to the church in Colossae, which again, we are going to be going through the whole book of Colossians starting in October. So October through December, we're gonna be following up this series with the book of Colossians. But, uh, but he says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Uh, we did a Hot Topics class in the spring, and we read this scripture every single week because it's so important that we understand that there are philosophies that are according to, basically it's humanism, it's spiritualism, but it's not according to Christ. And so as for us as believers, we've got to have our, our ears tuned to what is according to Christ and what is not, okay? So 
Uh, and then our goal for this series is to be informed and equipped to hold fast to and declare truth, biblical truth, in a loving and logical way. And so our hearts as pastors is that you would understand what you believe, why you believe it, so that it would build up your faith, but also that you would have, that you would have an understanding of why you believe what you believe so that you can communicate to others why you believe what you believe in a confident yet loving way. So many times whenever somebody's in a debate or in a conversation about belief or faith or philosophy or whatever the case is, um, it's almost like whoever says their point the loudest, like with a lot of anger, it's like, oh, well, they must really know what they're talking about, you know, and kind of back off a little bit. And it's like, no, we are called to communicate what we believe, but in a loving and logical way. And so that's our heart for this series. So last week we talked a lot about uh, this, this phrase, progressive Christianity. And, and if you remember, this whole series is geared towards exposing and, and confronting progressive Christianity. A lot of times whenever we talk about progressivism, uh, things are, people hear that term when it comes to political parties and political things. This is not a political uh, uh, series. We're not going there, okay? Uh, but we're gonna be talking about how progressivism seeks to find its way into Chris Christianity. And the word progressive, how many of y'all, progress sounds really positive, right? Come on, right? And uh, that's what's difficult about it because it's great to, prog to progress in certain things, but we don't want to progress past uh, a certain boundary marker, if you will. And so uh, we have to know what those boundaries are and why they're put there and why we believe in them. And so that's what we're doing here. But progressive Christianity, here's kind of how we'll define it. Progressive Christianity seeks to deconstruct orthodox Christian views or like traditional beliefs. Uh, Christian views of the methodology, ecclesiology, and theology of the church. Basically, who we are, what we do, and, uh, and what we believe. And, and it's this movement of deconstructionism, which if you've, you know, if you've been alive the last 20 years, you've heard somebody talk about deconstructionism. Now, we, we went in depth into that last week, so I'm not going there today. Again, it would be great to go and listen to that. But um, progressive Christianity, it seeks to deconstruct traditionally held beliefs, ultimately because the mindset is, is that anything that's traditional or old is rooted in some sort of oppressive ideology that's seeking to control people, okay? And so we need to be liberated from that type of mindset, right? That's kind of our, our, our cultural mindset nowadays. Anything old is typically antiquated and oppressive and we need to do away with it. And so Christianity falls into that category uh, for a lot of different reasons. So Abraham Piper, um, many of you might not know who he is. Uh, he's actually the son of a well-known pastor, and uh, he deconstructed years ago. And, and he's kind of one, one of those TikTok voices that, uh, that puts a lot of stuff out there. And this is what he says about progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity isn't a set of rules, but a state of mind. It's an excitement about changing. Doesn't that sound awesome? All right. I'm sarcastically saying that. Uh, it's not a set of rules. It's a state of mind. And it's an excitement about changing. Now, in this room right now, most of us actually are not excited about change. Statistically speaking, our personality types, most people aren't into change. And if there is change, they want it slow, methodical, and well communicated. All right? Don't change too quick. You know, I got, I got my, you know, like, 
You know, think about the way that you go to bed each night. Like, probably all of you have some sort of, like, routine. And when somebody messes with that routine, it's like, why are you, why are you in my presence right now? You know, like, what's, you know, typically me and Aideen, when it comes to, like, going to bed, she tends to go to bed a little bit sooner than I do. And uh, she has her certain way that she wants the pillow laying and she wants to watch her show. And every now and then, you know, I go to bed the same time she does. And I mess with her rhythm. And she is not happy about it. Like, there's been times whenever I walk into the room, like, early, and, like, she's just settling in, and she looks up, and she's just like, what? And I'm like, I, I'm, just coming, I'm just coming to bed. She's like, ah. She has to, like, scoot over and, like, put the pillow different because she's, like, all up on my side. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we don't like people messing with our stuff. And so when it comes to progressive Christianity, some progressive Christians would say, oh, you don't like what's happening because it's just messing with your stuff. And to that, I would say, no, it's not that you're messing with my pillow. You know what I'm saying? My, my theological pillow. It's that you're literally destroying what, it, what Christianity even is altogether. And so what progressive Christianity does is it changes the rules of the game, and then it, con it continues to, to hold the label of Christianity, right? It's almost like chain, if you're playing a sport and somebody comes up and starts messing with the rules of the game and it's like, you know, yeah, we're playing football, but we want to do this, this, and this, and this differently. And you're like, hey, man, that's really not football. We can call it something else, but it's not football, right? right. It's like Christianity. Hey, let's have Christianity with, you know, like not the whole like Jesus having to die on the cross thing. Let's, let's the whole like Jesus is God thing. Let's just kind of put that to the side. And by, by the way, let's mix in some other religions real quick and kind of make it all one big weird concoction and still call it Christianity, huh? How's that sound? And believers are like, no, <laughs> we will not have Christianity at that point. Now, you can call it something else, but we're not going to call it Christianity. And so, but we want to delineate what these things are. So progressive Christianity is next to impossible to define clearly. This is important. It's, it's next to impossible to, to define because it does not hold fast. It does, it's, not, it's not anchored to like a certain creed or dogma or doctrine it's not, it's floating. It's, it, it's kind of a, a moving target. And so it's hard to define it clearly. In contrast, Christianity is rooted in thousands of years of faithful Christians rightfully dividing the scriptures to ensure faithfulness to God's message as conveyed in the scripture. All right? It's very important that you see the difference here. There's some things about Christianity that are sort of flexible, all right, cultural, and there's other things that we cannot walk away from or it is no longer Christianity. So progressive Christianity is built, this is also important, on subjective truth. Now the conversation around truth, we're gonna get into this a little bit more another, another week. Honestly, everybody, at the end of the day, all conversations like this go back to what is truth? What is truth? What philosophy is, is based in truth? Uh, is Christianity truth? Uh, we're going to talk about how Pilate even, he, he asked, when Jesus says he was the truth, Pilate, Pilate's like, oh, like, what is, what is truth? Here, here's another one coming down the pipe saying that they know what truth is. Uh, what is true is one of the biggest conversations and questions that we have as human beings. And progressive Christianity is built on the idea that it's subjective, meaning that it changes. Everybody has their own truth. That's a big postmodern thought. It's been around for a long time, but it, it, it's, it's rooted in this, this, uh, this idea that, that we create truth ourselves. Like whatever I think is true is true. You have your truth and I have my truth, okay? And it's 
it's funny because if somebody makes that statement that all truth is subjective, then you have to ask the question, is that an objective statement? Circular logic cancels itself out. Anyway, so, uh, so it, it, it's, it's built on subjective truth and it rejects the authority and, of the Bible, which is a big deal. Um, and it also demands a revision or a rejection of traditional Christian beliefs. And so I want to give you some examples of progressive Christian uh, things. You know, some of you can go check this out if you'd like. Um, for, for some of you, I would, I would caution you as far as exposing yourself to too many ideas because if you're, not, if you're not grounded in your faith, as you begin to discover and listen to other people express their, their beliefs, a lot of the things that they say sound really good on the surface. By, by the way, that's the thing about deceptive philosophies, we talked about this last week, is that deception runs parallel with truth. Deceptive philosophies, they sound good and they're believable because they're plausible, right? And, and so as you're, as you're listening to different people with different ideas, uh, you have to be guarded in the way that you listen to these, to these people. But uh, if, you, if you're on social media, you might look up your favorite heretics and you can get exposed to, uh, to a lot of progressive thoughts, a lot of deconstruction, uh, deconstruct, deconstructionist thoughts surrounding the church, methodologically, ecclesiologically, and theolog uh, theologically. Um, there's a guy uh, named Michael Gunger. I don't know, many of you might know the song, Beautiful Things, that was written many years ago. It was a huge song in, in uh, top the charts in America for Christians. Uh, he is an artist who has deconstructed his faith, and now he is a... Um, He's pretty influential in a lot of circles because he gained a lot of fame and notoriety with his, his music. But uh, he has a podcast uh, called The Liturgist. And um, uh, I, listened to, I listened to it for, for a very long time. And it's amazing to see the progression into just uh, spiritualism and progressivism uh, that happened on that show. But that's another uh, uh, example of progressive Christianity. Um, re remember last week we talked about Max Martin? The whole song thing at the end, we talked about the author or the, the author of those songs was Mac, Max Martin, kind of a philosophical leader when it comes to music, um, right? There are philosophical leaders when it comes to progressive Christianity, and here's a few names for you. Uh, Rob Bell, uh, Shane Claiborne, uh, Richard Rohr, who is somebody that we're going to dig into in just a moment. These are guys who, they write books, and they, they, they are very good at, wor at wrapping verbiage around their ideas that draw you in and sound believable and eventually uh, they, they end up in complete error and, and sometimes complete uh, heresy. Rob Bell is a guy that I began to listen to in probably 07-ish, give or take, I don't know, yeah, somewhere up in there. And uh, he had a, a, a uh, he, w he went to all these different colleges and he did this uh, tour, it was called Everything is Spiritual. Honestly, still one of the greatest teachings uh, surrounding spirituality and how there's spirituality and everything. Um, and at that time, he was still kind of in this, he was in the safe zone. I'll just put it that way. But then he ended up coming out with a book where he became a universalist, where everybody's right with God no matter what. And it's a heretical view. And at that point, the, the church sort of like put him into a box and said, hey, you know, you're a heretic now, which anybody that gets labeled a heretic, it's almost like they wear it like a badge of honor. Like, yes, I'm a heretic. And then they begin to, like, they're excited about that. But very intellectual guy, but uh, very, very tight with, like, uh, um, uh, Oprah Winfrey and that whole scene. 
And uh, these are big names with big voices. Now, many of you may have never read their book, but you are hearing their thoughts because the thoughts that they began to throw out years ago are now permeating the church. I have a buddy who was, um, he was gonna be a, pa- he was a pastor and then he was, he was talking to this other church about becoming their, their pastor. And um, I started talking to him about some of this progressive Christianity, um, this conversation. And we hadn't touched base in a couple of years, like really talked. And he said, um, I said, man, I'm not sure how familiar you are with all of these ideas or whatever. And he's like, well, just tell me what you're thinking. So I kind of told him a lot of different things. And at the end of it, he said, he said, man, not only do I know what you're talking about, he's like, I've actually encountered these ideas firsthand. He said, I was talking to this church to be their pastor for like six months. And um, I knew something was off and eventually came to find out that this church was steeped in progressive Christian beliefs. Uh, on, deep down, not on the surface. So you could not tell from the surface that they had these ideas that were no longer, uh, you know, traditional Christian beliefs. They had progressed past them. And he said, uh, he eventually was like, hey guys, I can't pastor this church if I'm gonna have to be teaching the word of God from this perspective. He's like, I, I don't agree. So at, there's a lot of this that has seeped into the church that you might, again, you might not be aware of. There's a lot of this that has seeped into your heart and your belief system that you might not be aware of. And it's important that we just call it out. So some of these books you might have read or you hear one of your friends say, dude, you gotta check out this book. What is the Bible by Rob Bell? You gotta check it out, bro. It's just, it'll expand your thinking. Yeah, it'll expand your thinking. I've read the book too. But, uh, but whenever you expand your thinking, <laughs> you've also gotta realize what that thinking is based on. Does this make sense? All right, so, so, so it makes, it's not that it doesn't make sense, it's not that it's not plausible, it's just what it leads to. Um, there's a seminary called Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and this is a very, very progressive um, uh, seminary that spits out politicians and activists and, and pastors, okay, uh, with a kind of a, a theology that's based in, it would be called liberation theology. It's where... Uh, it's taught in a way that it's, it's not savior theology, which is more what we teach here at Northwood. It's liberation theology where everything's about liberating people from oppressive people, oppressive uh, systems, and everything is through that lens. And so then it begins to be applied to you know, politics and just every part of life. But you get big names that kind of come out of a, a seminary and you're like, hey, they teach the Bible there, right? Yes, but they teach it differently. They're very involved in politics. And so even a lot of the ideas that even were being promoted in uh, this previous election, uh, you may have not known it, but it was coming through uh, spiritualists and spiritual teachers. And uh, if if you're not listening uh, with your eyes wide open, which I know that doesn't make sense, but if you're not watching with your eyes wide open, uh, you begin to get sucked into these ideologies. And so, again, having your guard up whenever even listening to someone who's got a you know, a master's in divinity or whatever. You don't know where they got their master's from, all right? Um, We see this playing out even in the Methodist church right now. I don't know if you know, but like the Methodist church is going through a, uh, they're splitting basically. They're splitting because of these types of ideas and uh, who's right, who's wrong. Things that have been held onto for hundreds, if not in some cases thousands of years are being uh, rejected and so it's splitting the church denominationally, Churches like ours, we're non-denominational, but you know what? We got a lot of people in here who have a lot of different ideas. And over the next now six weeks, a lot of those ideas are gonna be tested. 
We've had people walk out. You know what I'm saying? They don't like what we're teaching. I, I get it. I get it. But if we don't talk about what we believe specifically, then you will never know. So that's another reason why we've got to be honest about how we interpret Scripture. So um, uh, we're in a time of change in the body of Christ, and not all of it is good. But with all of this being said, progressive Christianity has been around much longer than the label itself. Um, I don't want to come across as an alarmist, like, hey, the things that we're dealing with, they just came up out of nowhere. This has been around since the beginning. I believe that the word of God has been tested since the beginning. You look back at the garden, God said, this is what I want you to do. The serpent comes in and said, did God really say to do that? Oh, no, no, no. God doesn't want you to, to, uh, to do that, to eat of that tree, because if you do, you will be like him. So in that mindset, it's like, hey, if I know, if I have the knowledge of good and evil, if I have wisdom, I will be like God. And I believe that's what we still deal with today. We actually think that if we know what God knows, we will be like him. We do. If I just had the answers, right, if, if, I, if I knew. And, and that's why we're always on a journey for wisdom, for what is good and what is true. It's innate inside of us as humans. And, and the serpent played off of that with Adam and Eve, and we still see that today. Some people, they're like, I don't know what I believe because I'm still searching for that truth. And what's ironic is that Jesus comes and he says, I'm right here. I am the truth that you're looking for. But it doesn't come, the truth doesn't come in the package that we want, so therefore we, re we reject it, right? So anyway, in this series, we'll be critiquing 10 statements made by a man named Philip Gully in his book, If the Church Were Christian. And he's a progressive thought leader, again, progressive Christian, and some of his ideas were put out around 2009. That's kind of whenever he came out with his book. And uh, you can go look at some of his old videos on YouTube. Another guy that most of you have probably never heard of, honestly, I didn't hear of until just a couple of years ago and, uh, or, or uh, a few months ago. And, but his ideas are permeating all of, uh, of the church. And as we go through these statements, you're gonna be able to pick up on these ideas and be like, I've heard that. I didn't know who that guy was, but I've heard that idea. And so we're gonna be, uh, again, breaking down 10 of his statements over the next six weeks. Um, now, again, to, to, to let you guys know, to clarify, we don't agree with his statements. Okay, we don't, so the statements that we make, I'm not saying I agree with these statements. I'm saying that this is a representation of the, the mindset of progressive Christianity. So here's the first statement that we're gonna deal with today. It's that Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. All right, this is a statement. Now, at first glance, some of you are like, that actually kind of sounds... Like, yeah, he's a model for living more than an object. Man, we should live like Jesus lived, right? That sounds so attractive. But as you dig deeper, you realize what this is really attacking, what this is really coming at, coming against. Because we agree that Jesus is absolutely a model for living. But for a progressive Christian, he is just a model for living and not someone to worship, but to simply be inspired by, all right? Jesus is an inspirational figure, but he's not what we're gonna say here in a moment. Right, he stops it just a mortal, a moral man. So when I say Jesus Christ or the Christ, uh, people have different ideas of that nowadays. Now, when I say Jesus Christ, you might think of this first picture. Go ahead and put that up. You might think of Jesus Christ, a very soft-skinned, very, I don't know, this just kind of makes me feel weird looking at that picture a little bit, but uh, 
You might think of Jesus Christ like that. You might think of Jesus Christ, go ahead and put up that next picture, right? I mean, there's a more, like we would say, more accurate depiction of what Jesus potentially looked like, you know? Or you might have the idea of this next picture, right? Like just, he's my buddy, he's a good guy, he's my homeboy, you know what I'm saying? Like Jesus is just a fun, fun guy, like Obviously, he hung out, he partied, right, when he was on the earth. So, like, that's, he, like, that's how people saw him. He's just a fun-loving dude, right? Or you might think of him as this next picture. How many of you guys have no idea who that is? Have you ever watched Star Wars? Come on, somebody. Anybody know his name? Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, side note. If anybody ever posts this picture on social media and they say, share if you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ, they're playing a joke on you. They're trolling you, all right? Just wanna put it out there, all right? Don't share a picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi as if he is Jesus Christ, because true story, it's happened. <laughs> it's happened a lot. Come on, y'all. Anyway, so you might think of that, or for some of you, you might think of this next picture which is a description or a depiction of this universal Christ. See, whenever some people say the Christ, this is kind of more who, who, they're, who they're talking about. Someone that, or something that is sort of infused into all creation that you can kind of see in the trees and in the animals and in whatever, right? In that chair that you're sitting in, it's the Christ. And so that's why, as we've spoken over the last few months, you'll hear me every now and then say, if somebody says they believe in Jesus Christ or they believe in the Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saying the same thing that you, you think of, okay? It doesn't mean the same thing. People have different ideas of who Jesus was and who he is. And so progressive Christians think about J Jesus differently than we do. They think of Jesus Christ as two separate things. Number one, that Jesus is just a moral man that we just described, that he is not God. They have a very low view of Jesus. Jesus is basically like one of us, okay? And then there's Christ, Jesus Christ. And uh, when it comes to Christ, they would say that Christ is a cosmic reality, a reality that exists in the universe, which is also kind of confusing, right? Like, what does that really mean? This is where the ideas of a man named Richard Rohr really come into place. Uh, Richard Rohr, his last name is R-O-H-R. -R. He wrote a book called The Universal Christ. And uh, he defines Christ as a cosmic reality that is found whenever the material and the divine coexist, which is always and everywhere. He says that the universe is the body of God, the second person of the Trinity in material form. Okay, tracking a little bit? All right, you know the Trinity? Well, he would say that Jesus is not that, like the body of God, the body of Christ is creation. That is the universe. Uh, this is the cosmic Christ who always was, who became incarnate in time and who is still being revealed. We would have helped, this is what he says, we would have helped history and individuals so much more if we had spent our time revealing how Christ is everywhere instead of proving that Jesus was God. And he says this, but big ideas take time to settle in. Big ideas, progressive ideas take time to settle in. So ideas like Jesus Christ, Jesus represented 
Christ. He was not the Christ, which we'll describe, we'll describe here in a second what the Christ is. But one example he uses to support this is uh, from Scripture is in Colossians 3.11. It says, but Christ is all and in all. Many of you have read that Scripture, right? Colossians 3.11. Christ is all and in all. Rohr interprets this as Christ is in everything and is everything, which is really just panentheism. All right. So... Since the beginning, we've had a choice of whether we were going to worship creation or the creator. And that option is never removed. We are still today uh, uh, having to make a choice of whether we are going to worship the creation or worship the creator. For a lot of us, it doesn't look like bending down and, and bowing before a tree. I'm not talking about that. For a lot of us, it's the God of entertainment. All right, it's the God of self. That, that worship can look different, but it's no... It's no it's no different than just an old, old uh, 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 religion, basically, of worshiping creation. And it comes in different forms. And so that's where we're at today, where progressive Christian leaders are coming in with these ideas that are just old ones repackaged. So really, this is just a perversion of Christianity combining bits of Hinduism, New Age spiritualism, and it's, it mixes in a little bit of humanism and naturalism, and you get all sorts of concoctions, all right? It's really just pluralism. And pluralism is whenever you combine a lot of different religions together. And uh, at that point, again, it's like earlier when I said progressive Christianity, what is it? How do you define it? It's not that easy. Because the lines are blurred. And so that's why we need to continue to speak about these things. I, I want to point you guys to a video on YouTube in case you want to kind of learn more about this thinking. Uh, because it is ab absolutely impossible for us to really delve too deep into the subject on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm just trying to keep half of you awake right now. And um, <laughs> because it's like, man, give me something, like, it's a little bit easier to understand. Um, guys, listen, deception is not easy to understand. And, and that's, that's the issue with it. And so, uh, but if you want to go watch uh, some, some more ideas around these, you can go watch the three-hour video that Elisa, uh, Alyssa Childers put out with uh, Stephen Bancarts. Uh, it's called, um, if you search on YouTube, ex-New Age guru Stephen Bancarts debunks the universal Christ. Um, it's about three hours long, and that would be a great starter for you to kind of get exposed to what's being spoken about. Because again, y'all listen. When it comes to like blowing the whistle on things, the first person or the first group of people that, that begin to blow the whistle on it or the first time that you hear it talked about, it doesn't quite seem like it's that important, right? It sounds like a rumor or it sounds like an overreaction. And so what happens a lot of times is we are so conditioned in our world nowadays to think of things in that way that we have, we have a lack of trust for, for people who bring up these things until about five years down the road, whenever it's completely like absorbed into us and into a society, and then we're like, oh man, that, that was actually happening, you know? And so this series might feel like that to some of you, but I want, I want you to just kind of like receive that first wave, you know what I'm saying? Like kind of absorb that and be like, okay, I just need, I just need to do a little bit more research, more reading, and uh, in order to really understand these things. But uh, that would be a great video for you to check out. I want to spend the, the remainder of the time that we have, though, speaking about what we believe. See, the traditional Christian belief is that Jesus was fully man and is fully God, that he is not 
just a model for living, that he is an object or a, an object of worship and that he deserves that worship, okay? And so the traditional Christian belief is that Jesus was fully man and is fully God. Colossians 2.9 says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. God incarnate, the whole deity dwells bodily in Christ. This is a very important part of our belief system. Um, William Lane Craig, who again is another person that I would highly recommend you uh, going and listening to, his thoughts are gonna be very deep and take you some time to really begin to absorb. But William Lane Craig, he's an apologist, uh, he's a Christian apologist, and he says this about the deity of Christ. The Christian religion stands or falls with the person of Jesus Christ. Judaism could survive without Moses, Buddhism without Buddha, Islam without Muhammad, but Christianity could not survive without Christ. This is because unlike most other world religions, Christianity is belief in a person, a genuine historical individual, but at the same time, a special individual whom the church regards as not only deity, but also human. And there's a lot of things in our faith that if you remove the deity of Christ, you also remove those other things as well, okay? It, it's kind of like a house of cards, okay? Whenever you take out one, the whole thing begins to collapse, all right? Now, now Christianity is not as fickle as a house of cards. That's not what I mean by that. But some people believe that you can sort of take out certain things and you'll still be okay. More like Jenga, all right? You ever play Jenga? You know what I'm saying? We were at the, the ice cream shop the other day. We were playing it on this table, a metal table, which, horrible design, right? Don't, Jenga, metal tables in the restaurant, very loud. And uh, we're playing, you know, and, and uh, it was me and my wife and then our two daughters. And our youngest daughter, she's four, and she made some incredible moves. I was very impressed. Like, that should not have actually came out, but it did. I don't know mathematically how that, that worked, but... But what happens is all of a sudden it's wobbly, you know. Well, there, there's some things that, there's some things that you, you can, can kind of be flexible with, okay, to a certain extent. But there's some things, man, you cannot remove that. It collapses. And the deity of Christ is one of those, those things, one of those beliefs. And so the divinity of Christ, that Jesus is God, is the hinge pin of Christianity. If Jesus isn't fully man and fully God, then he is at most a model for living. At most a model for living. And, uh, and some would say that. They, they would say that he was a really good guy. Have you ever heard anybody say, no, I believe in Jesus that he was a good guy. I believe that he was a prophet. I believe that like, he's, he was a good teacher, right? But like the whole Jesus is God thing, uh, uh. C.S. Lewis has a famous rebuttal to that. And, uh, and again, he's speaking to those who, who respond to those who say this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a, as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg. That's a joke, okay? Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Jesus was either lying, he was crazy, right? Or he was correct. And... For us today, we're still having to make that decision, uh, each of us individually, what we believe about Jesus, whether we believe his claims or not. And in a society that is seeking to either uh, reject any sort of religion altogether 
or seeking to kind of put them all together and say all religions lead to the same place, it's very difficult to say that Jesus was a great moral teacher because he said some things that, that just don't match up with that statement. And so you have to make a choice. So what makes Jesus divine? What actually makes him divine? Number one, the virgin birth. Virgin birth. Now, the virgin birth is something that is a stumbling block for many people, right? Because they know how babies are made. And they're like, that's weird. That's hard to believe. And um, I want to say one thing about the miraculous things that the Bible says about Jesus and other things. The fir- before someone would have a problem with the virgin birth and the miraculous uh, occurrence of the virgin birth, I would ask them this question. I would ask you this question if you're struggling is, number one, do you believe in God? And, and if you do, do you believe or that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that there is a God that literally created all things? And for a lot of people, they're like, oh yeah, I, dude, absolutely, I believe in a higher power. I believe that all this just wasn't happenstance. But like when it comes to the virgin birth, I don't know, that's just kind of weird. And I would say this, the harder thing to believe is that there is a God who created all things. If God created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see, is it really that difficult to believe that he would cause something like this to take place? You know what I'm saying? Is, is, is it that hard to believe that he could reach into his creation and perform supernatural occurrences? No, the, the higher one, the, the harder one that, that's, that's more difficult to believe in, if you wanna go there, would, would be the one that I just talked about, creator. And, um, because sometimes we just, we hear certain things. I was talking to a guy last year and that was one of our points of our conversation. He was having a lot of difficulty with these individual occurrences in scripture. And I was like, well, man, I, I feel like we've already talked about this. And I asked him that question. He was like, absolutely, absolutely, I believe in God. I believe that he created all things. And at that point, whenever I sort of spun it that way, it was funny. He said, fair enough, fair enough, okay, you know? Sometimes we kind of have to back out and kind of re-look at things. But, but the virgin birth, Luke 1, 35 says this. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, talking to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We believe that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit of God in Mary's womb. And this fulfilled prophecies. Uh, Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the first time that the, uh, that the gospel is really communicated in Genesis 3, talks about how the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. You look forward to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says that the virgin would give birth to a son called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there's fulfilled prophecies when it comes to the virgin birth. And this is what made Jesus fully man and fully God. And it made possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin, which is the next thing. We have the virgin birth. The next thing is that Jesus was sinless, okay? It's another big point, that he, both condition and conduct. Now, we use those two terms a lot, and if you're newer around here, when I say that, that might not make much sense, but we, we say that we are born in sin, both when it comes to our condition, and then we, we uh, commit sins in our conduct. It's two different ways of speaking about sin, that we are born in sin, that's what the scripture says, we're conceived in sin, and then also, come on, y'all, you ain't gotta teach no two-year-old to lie, they just know how to lie, okay? 
Okay, we, 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 when it comes to conduct, we understand conduct very well because it's more on this plane. But the condition of sin is a nature thing. And so Jesus was born without a sin nature because sin is inherited from Adam. Right? Okay? So, so Jesus did not inherit a sin nature. So he's fully God, fully man at the same time, but he's sinless. Okay, it's very important that we understand this. And because of that, he also committed no sin. And so when somebody says that Jesus uh, committed sin, they are, uh, they're, not, they're not speaking what the Bible says. And also they may be pulling from other books that were not canonized uh, for specific reasons that actually describe Jesus in his early upbringing as uh, committing uh, sinful acts. And so um, Hebrews 4, uh, 15, which, by the way, Hebrews would be, if you're struggling with a lot of this, Hebrews would be a great book to read in the Bible. Hebrews, just, just, just read it. Just read it, all right? Uh, but it says this in Hebrews 4, 15, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, okay, yet without sin. We have a high priest who is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Sin. He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, you, in context, there's a lot of scripture that we couldn't get to today. We just don't have enough time. But these are sort of the, 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 the base scriptures that, uh, that talk about the sinlessness of Jesus, both his condition and his conduct. And it's what makes him the sacrificial lamb, that he became the scapegoat, uh, taking sin on himself. Without Jesus being God and being perfect, he is not the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all right? Very, very important. But also without these, Jesus, Jesus is not the Messiah, which is the next thing. He is, you know, he's deity because he's a virgin birth, because of sinlessness, and because he is the anointed one. The Messiah was prophesied to be God. I just read the scripture or alluded to it in Isaiah. A virgin, the virgin would conceive and bear uh, the anointed one, give birth to the anointed one, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, okay? So the Messiah is God with us. Also, we see that Peter and John believed that Jesus was the Messiah. John 20, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Matthew 16, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is Jesus speaking. And this is such an important question to, to be asked, even to us today. Who do you say that I am? And I want you to personalize that question. Who would you say that Jesus is? Peter replies. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, when he says the Christ, he's not speaking of some metaphysical reality in some uh, uh, extreme way, in some spiritualist way, that the picture that we just looked at, right? He's not some cosmic reality. He says, I believe that you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who's been prophesied for, for generations and that you're here in front of me, right? And Jesus answered him and said this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, belief in Jesus as the Messiah, as, as the Christ, um, although we're speaking a lot today in a heady way, in an intellectual way, it, it doesn't just come through the things that we're talking about today. It comes through revelation. 
And you know, in a series like this, we can bring you a lot of ideas and we can bring you a lot of scripture. We can bring you a lot of building blocks for your faith. But there comes a moment where each of us have to ask God to reveal himself to us specifically and individually. You know, I grew up in, uh, in church, and so I'm a church kid, grew up in church. And um, a lot of the ideas that I'm talking about today, I had heard my whole life. <laughs> Remember last week we talked about construction and then deconstruction and the reconstruction, okay, in, in a positive sense. Um, like I went through that in regards to everything that we're talking about here today. Because at some point as a, as a kid, you're like, do I really believe these things? Like, do I really believe them? And uh, this is one of those things. And so the question when Jesus asks Peter this, like I've had this question in so many, in, in many forms in my own personal life many times where I feel like Jesus is like, okay, at this age, at this season in your life, at this phase, now who do you say that I am? Like whenever you go through really bad times, it's almost like Jesus re-looks at you in the eyes and says, now who do you say that I am? You know, man, I'm on a mountain peak. Am I still, am I still Jesus? Am I still, the, you know, the Christ? Am I still the anointed one? Am I, am I still God in the flesh? Am I still sovereign? Do you still trust me in the good times? And then at the bottom, it's like, okay, we're in a different, we're in different it's a different question now. It's almost like marriage. You know, it's like things are really good. Oh, man, we have a great relationship. It's like, yeah, but what about when it's really bad? What does it look like in, in that time? See, commitment is tested and trust is commitment in both times. Because sometimes when things are really good, when it comes to our walk with God, we become self-sufficient. We become spiritually prideful. And we got it. Like, I'm good. So we're not as trusting. And then, and then in, in the bad times, the opposite can take place. It's like, I don't trust you because things are really, really bad. Whenever, when it's really bad is where we actually should trust him more, right? But so it, I don't know where that season is for you. I don't know if it's like a really good season or a bad season, but I believe that this question is still being asked in all of our lives, in all of our, to all of our faiths, okay? Who's Jesus? Do you believe who he said that he was and is? And we just sang it, who he was, he is, and who is to come? Do you believe that Jesus or do you believe like your own version of Jesus? But it comes through revelation. If you don't believe that Jesus was, was God, born of a virgin, sinless, and the Messiah, then you will not be able to believe that he is the perfect sacrifice for sin. And, and also, it's gonna be very difficult to worship him it's gonna be very difficult to actually model your life after him. Because a lot of people who say they, they wanna live like Jesus, but they wanna reject who he, who he says that he was, they, they've just read certain things. They haven't read all of this, the things that he spoke. A call to worship Jesus is a call to die to yourself, to, to die to your desires, and to submit your life to him when it's easy and when it's not. It's a call to surrender. But this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus is worthy of worship because he is God. And since he is God, we model our way of living after his. So today, a lot of ideas were brought up 
some of which may have been clear to you. Maybe you've kind of been in some of these conversations and so your, your mind was sort of primed in some of these ideas and, and you were kind of connecting the dots. For some of you, a lot of this is very kind of new and it might still seem very cloudy. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody this past week about this very thing and I said, listen, if, if the first time you hear something, it's very confusing or it feels distant or like you didn't get it, I wanna encourage you not to just stop there and just be like, oh, that's something I can't understand. Do you understand? Just like in school, whenever you hear a concept the first time, you very rarely get it the first time. Come on, y'all. I mean, if you, if you went through algebra, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't understand the positive and the negative and which side of the equal and like, why? Why can't we just keep it simple? You know, like, let's just stop at division. Why do we gotta go with the square roots and all this kind of stuff? Like, just stay away from all that. Geometry, stop it, y'all. You know, keep it, just this addition. That's all, I know addition will take forever to figure things out, but let's just stay with addition because I get it, right? Some things are, are milk and some things are meat. And, and you can read that in the Bible, that, that this, this conversation, this series, it's a little heady, it's a little meaty. And so a lot of the concepts, they're not cookies on the bottom shelf that are easy to grasp but they're also not easy to absorb and to apply to life sometimes. But I just, I really wanna take a second and encourage you in this process that the things that we're talking about, man, just, just keep studying, keep seeking, keep knocking, uh, keep coming, keep listening. Uh, some of the resources that we threw out uh, with the video with Stephen Bankarts and different things, go listen to these things, okay? And, and continue to grow in your faith and your belief. But I wanna close today because I wanna pray for those of you who when I ask that question, who is Jesus? Who is Christ? Um, I think it hit a nerve. I think it hit a nerve in a lot of us because it's like, man, I, I knew who Jesus was 10 years ago. I felt like I knew who he was and now today I'm not really quite sure. And I wanna pray for you that God would reveal himself to you in this season of life, amen? Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We believe in you. We thank you for Jesus. We believe that he is God. We do. But God, there's a lot of things in life that are difficult to fully grasp some things we felt like we had a handle on in a certain season of life, God, but, but over time we feel like we've lost that edge, we've lost our grip. Maybe our faith is shaken and God, we, God, we need a move of you. We need you to reveal yourself to us in a special way. God, I pray for each person in here, especially those who are in here, those who are watching online right now who are far from you. God, maybe they feel like they're far from you, but they're just in confusion. Their belief system has kind of been like diluted in a lot of different directions. And today, God, I'm asking for you to give them clarity, to clarify some things. God, to bring some answers to their questions. God, we know that you are the good shepherd. And even though we, we are in the, the valley of the shadow of death, God, that you are with us but God, at times, it's hard for us to recognize that you're with us. It just is. And so, Lord, I'm praying right now that you pull back the blinders, pull back the curtain. God, let us experience you. Let us know you intellectually, experientially. God, for those who are far from you, I pray that you would help them right now. God, to surrender their heart to you. For some of you, you just need to pray to God right now by yourself to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe that he was 
perfect and sinless. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And he was raised to new life so I could have new life. We thank you for truth, God. We pray that you would continue to reveal this truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen.